Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable, high-speed internet. Today, I'm joined by Jeff Burke, Senior Vice President of Government Affairs and Product Marketing at DZS. We discuss the federal government's forthcoming $42 billion bead program and what DZS is hearing from state broadband leaders on how they're planning to award their share of those funds. We also discuss how DZS is preparing to meet the opportunity presented by federal funding and much more. All right, Jeff, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, glad to be here. So um, I'm excited to talk to you about uh, all sorts of things as it pertains to broadband and DZS and the federal broadband grant programs coming down the pike. But first, why don't you just tell me briefly about your role at DZS? Sure. Well, I uh, my name is Jeff Burke. I actually am the SVP of both product marketing and government affairs at DZS. I've been with the company a little over three years now. I've been in the industry over twenty years, right? So there's a, a lot of a uh, lot of historic involvement in, in broadband, and and honestly, just excited to uh, see this all coming to fruition. Well, all these wonderful uh, stimulus programs that are, are in place, not only in North America now, but around the world. Yeah, so let's uh, let's just level set for a moment because you and I are basically going to spend a chunk of this conversation talking about a couple of those stimulus programs. One being the forty two point five billion dollar bead program, broadband equity access and deployment, and the one billion dollar million uh, middle mile program, uh, which got five point five billion dollars in, in grant requests. Um, and those grants are going to start coming out this spring, uh, and we'll we'll. Comp- wrap up uh, by June, uh, the end of June. Um, So I wanted to just get your perspective on those programs, particularly in the context of, like you said, you've been in the industry for the last 20 years. Um, Certainly a lot of people have expressed that this is a generational opportunity, unlike anything that we've seen before with broadband investment in the U.S., but I'd love to hear your perspective on these programs, particularly as they compare to what we've tried to do in the past in this arena. Sure, sure. Well, happy to, uh, to, you know, opine on this. You know, so as I mentioned, I've been involved with the broadband for a couple of decades now, right? And uh, certainly, you know, as you uh, mentioned, you know, we, we have kind of gone through this, uh, through a number of different cycles, right? If you go back and remember the ARRA program, the BTOP and the BIP back in, uh, you know, over a decade or so ago, um, then uh, through the different programs that were in between, uh, RDOF, you know, is one that uh, is still underway right now and some of the other uh, ACAM projects and those sorts of things. I think uh, the thing that differs this time, right, is, uh, is you know, thankfully, I think folks learned from some of those original programs, right? Mm-hmm. First of all, you know, I think that the bar was set way too low historically, right? And obviously, you know, things have progressed both in terms of uh, technology and, and uh, uh, but I think the most important thing is the appreciation of broadband, what it actually can do for communities and, you know, just for individuals, right? I mean, we all learned firsthand during the pandemic, right, that, uh, you know, it is not only a utility, but one of the most essential utilities you can possibly have, not only in terms of, um, uh, not only in terms of uh, basically, you know, allowing yourself to do work, right? But just creating economic opportunity for uh, for different parts of the country, right? You just can't get, mm-hmm. get things done. And as we look at, uh, you know, a lot of the different uh, data points out there, you know, most people are going to be working remotely, you know, for some portion of their jobs, 
going forward, right? So, so this is not going to get to any uh, any less important. And you know, one of the other things going on, and you know, we actually sell around the world, so we see a lot of things going on in South Korea, in Tokyo, and Japan, and those sorts of things. You know, as you start integrating in some of the more advanced virtual reality, virtual experience type things into interactions, like you know, that are just extensions of what you and I are doing right now, it consumes a lot of bandwidth, right? Very, yeah. very powerful experiences. Folks over in those countries have totally embraced these things, and they're going to be over here in in, uh, in the U.S. and North America in short order, right? And uh, our networks need to be ready for them. Yeah, it's funny, actually, during the early days of the pandemic, my brother and I, who we used to get together, you know, to watch movies once every couple of months. So we got Oculus headsets to uh, try to meet up in virtual reality, we're, you know, losing our minds. So this is what we were thinking of doing. Um, but at the time, I remember thinking like, wow, this really would have been a great moment for us to be ready in the US for VR. But like, we're nowhere near it. Only like a couple <laughs> of random people like me and my weird brother are buying VR headsets right now. So um, hopefully, so you know, by the time uh, next time, we're told to stay home for a year or whatever. We'll be ready. I remember for doing the same same thing. Although we we're trying to do multiplayer gaming with all my relatives, right? So <laughs> right. It was like a Brady Bunch screen, and some people could get on, and some people couldn't, and people were getting dropped left and right. It was uh, twenty uh, twenty. What a time! Experiment, correct? Yeah, so. absolutely. Um, so okay, so. You, in your capacity at DZS, then, um, you know, as a, a policy government guy, I'm sure you've been chatting a lot with state broadband offices about these these subsidy programs and probably, I guess, with federal leaders. So, um, you know, what can you tell me uh, about those conversations? What are you learning about? Um, uh, what are you learning about how states are working on de deploying, de developing their their bead programs and middle mile grants, um, and what are you hearing from federal leaders about what they're still trying to sort out about uh, getting these rules finalized? Yeah, well, what, it's one of the interesting roles that you get to play as a vendor and a technology expert in this space. As, as I yeah. mentioned, you know, back in the day, I used to go into the FCC and educate them on what broadband was and why it was so important and why they needed to create some of these programs. And here we are now trying to allocate, you know, not only $42 billion bead, but as you mentioned before, the middle mile programs, the capital projects programs, um, the reconnect programs, and those sorts of things. And so um, there's a lot of education that we uh, we get to do and of course it actually positions us as a company very well uh, when folks know who we are and ultimately understand the technologies and what's what is and should be important to them um so uh me and my team have actually been reaching out to all the different states i think that uh, we have we definitely reached out to all 50 we've gotten in touch with the vast majority right and um certainly i, I guess what i can share with you from a state perspective is they are all over the board Right. I mean, mm -hmm. as you can imagine, there's some states that already had broadband offices established for many, many years. When this pro when even the word of this program came along, they were just ready to go. They had their projects identified and they had gotten off and running. Um, other states had not even thought about having broadband offices. Right. And so you uh, have on the other uh, end of the spectrum. Uh, states and and honestly, some of the states that you wouldn't expect, right? The big states that should have the stuff uh, should have these yeah. things in order, were um, uh, you know are really just in the very nascent stages of getting themselves prepared. I think the other thing that struck me in these conversations is uh, two things. One is um, some folks have gone down the path, or some states have gone down the path of really getting uh, you know. Uh, 
folks with industry experience, so who have been on op the operator side, sometimes the vendor side, oftentimes the consulting side, right, where they understand the technologies and what's going on. And others have really decided to take great writers and throw them on uh, uh, and make have them run these programs that have historically made grants that had nothing to do with broadband, right? So you're starting with you know the very very basics of technology and really getting them up to speed as to what uh, what is going on. So you know we look at both as opportunities, right? So you can you can kind of uh, handhold uh, one set of folks and you can run with the others. Doesn't really matter because every single one of them is going to get uh, on average about uh, seven hundred fifty million dollars <laughs> uh, to to go do this, and many of them are going to get a lot more than that, right? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, uh, it's, it still creates uh, opportunity. I'll, I'll share one other thing that I think has been an interesting insight, and that is that, um, you know, there's been a lot of uh, differences in how these states have approached this. So there are a couple of specific states, you know, let's take, for example, the state of Washington, who basically is not going to allocate monies to anyone but public entities, right? And yeah. so they basically said, said, okay, well, here's how we're going to do it. If you are not a public entity, then you need to start partnering in public-private partnerships to go and get these activities done, right? Other states have been, you know, it had very different, uh, different perspectives on this, right? Where they've gone directly out to the, the private sector and said, okay, you guys know how to do this best. Let's get out and run with it. And then there's some in between that have been trying to encourage a little bit of both. But I think there's really been a very wide, uh, wide spectrum. And honestly, it, I don't think it necessarily has been along political lines or anything. It just happens to, uh, you know, happens to kind of align with how they've really approached things in the state historically. Yeah, it's super interesting. And it shows you, I guess, kind of why uh, NTIA would structure a program like BEAD to be um, distributed by state leaders, because each state is is looking to handle this very differently, as yeah, you say. Yeah. Um, speaking of the NTIA, you know, there have been some mumblings and concerns about various rules about Buy America. I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on on any of the concerns out there about the rules regarding either program. Well, I think that, um, you know, there's been a couple of stages of this, right? You know, Buy America is not an old, is not a new concept, right? It's been around for for ages, right? And you can go back to all the old uh, um, rural utilities uh, loans and things like that all had Buy America clauses in them. Um, it has just gotten uh, to the point where it is... It is being addressed, I think, more aggressively, right? And certainly, you know, this is a reflection of the Biden administration overall, right? And taken much more seriously with regard to how it's um, how it's going to be implemented, right? So, uh, you know, when you look at uh, the middle mile program, for example, uh, we've already gotten to the point where they've identified, you know, the waiver has already been issued, right, for uh, uh, for that program at this point in time. And so, you know, everybody kind of knows where they stand. It makes sense, right? Um, you know, vendors like us who actually have to reach out to, uh, uh, to other countries to buy the chips, which end up being a very big component of the uh, overall value of these things. Um, had the ability to kind of operate under the status quo and and uh, to to move things along. Um, that said, you know when you look at the uh, you know the uh, Buy American yet to be determined for uh, for you know the bead going forward, 
you know, that's going to be a, a, a much tighter, uh, tighter arrangement, right? And there's, that, you know, they were very clear. I was actually in uh, Washington, D.C. just um, a week and a half or so ago. And they're very clear that they're not going to be looking to press, you know, what precedent was set, for example, the middle mile as to how we're gonna, they're going to address this program. The good news is we at DZS have been in with the NTIA. We've been in, uh, you know, from the very beginning, walking through what the trade-offs are, how this works. We are a company that's based in, in uh, Dallas, Texas, right? So, um, you know, we uh, we already are are advantaged in terms of having a, a perspective in this. We've historically manufactured in the U.S., and now we have some contract relationships that make it easy for us to, to do that. The sticky, the sticky part, honestly, is just what you count and um, uh, from a component perspective and how you're going to look at relationships between countries, right? So, you know, mm -hmm. chips come from, come from Taiwan. That's kind of the way it is, right? So mm -hmm. unless, you know, we find ways to ramp up that production in the U.S. in short order, right, uh, there's got to be a little bit of give and take in that. And it may be time constraint, right? It, it may be just an overall waiver, but they're still working through those processes right now. And uh, the good news is, is that you know we can get as much as we as we need aligned, right? Uh, and we feel very confident that we're uh, we're aligned on uh, you know ninety percent of it at this point in time. But uh, you know that uh, that chip thing is going to be important because think of it this way: Broadcom is based in the U.S. They do a lot of their engineering in the U.S., but they do their manufacturing in uh, in Taiwan. How much of the value is in the engineering versus the manufacturing? You know, those those sorts of questions are the things that are being grappled with right now, and uh, that we're yeah. working with a lot of folks on. Okay, and just um, you know, sort of tangentially, like, do you see the Chips Act as solving this problem? You know, not tomorrow, but in the you know next five, ten years, or do we still need more? Is there more work to do to really well, get? Well, the, the chip, yeah, the Chips Act is actually a great start, but it's more it's a great start for five G, right, or or for uh, for wireless, not so much for the wire line. Okay. Majority of what you're going to see in beat is wire line, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, it's a good start, right? Okay. Um, and I think it's going to push things forward, but it's that that in and of itself is not going to resolve the dilemma that bead faces here <laughs> in, the, uh, in the coming year or two. Yeah. Fair enough. And I do think it's notable that every time President Biden talks about this requirement, he specifically mentions fiber itself. So uh, I don't even think, I don't think he's delusional uh, on this subject. Um, I think he understands. Yeah, I, I, someone did a, did a great job. I hopefully, you know, I, 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 uh, I'll uh, take a, a, a small amount of credit for that from the, from the, uh, activities in the past right but um you know certainly the uh fiber broadband association the ntia all those folks have been in front of the right people for a long time and i, I gotta say they made the right decision on it uh it's yeah. you know there's no better foundational technology to uh to encourage these programs that you know you and i talked a little bit before you know uh, on this that you know what did they get right this time Fiber is it, right? It is an unlimited waveguide, right? It can grow yeah. with the needs of uh, of the communities. And yes, there can be cheaper ways to do this, but they do not have the legs that fiber is going to provide you as a foundation, right? So, so you're not swayed by the uh, white papers that are coming out weekly to say why fixed wireless should get <laughs> get into the mix more. <laughs> Well, if I were a fixed wireless producer, I'd probably be producing a lot of white papers too. But uh, exactly. I, don't think the, I don't think the science uh, nor the economics bear uh, bear that out. So, fair enough. All right, so let's talk uh, for a minute about the actual opportunity here for your company, for DZS. How significant do you see the opportunity posed by these programs for your business in the coming years? 
Well, it, you know, I don't want to say it's game changing, but it's, it's a big deal, right? I mean, we, we sell globally, right? Uh, you know, as we look on a global basis, we see about $150 billion just in government programs, you know, across North America, um, you know, Europe, uh, as I mentioned, you know, there's things going on in Africa, Southeast Asia, et cetera, right, that are fostering these programs. And then on top of that, you have all of this, uh, this um, not only matching funds, right? You know, the beat in and of itself has a minimum of twenty five percent for most of uh, yeah. for most of yeah. what it's looking for, right? And it will probably be higher in all the private equity going into this. So you know, you mentioned it being generational. Yes, it's a, it's a generational uh, investment in uh, in broadband overall. So that's that actually is something, of course, that raises all ships, right? Um, in our industry now, from a DZS perspective, uh, you know, almost. I, I don't even. I hate to say it's through happenstance, but it's, it's, it's just as a company, we have actually um, been a company that's focused on on three major things that align with this. Right. Uh, one <laughs> is is that uh, we have always made uh, environmentally hardened equipment. Right. And um, you know, for better or worse, when you're trying to connect rural parts of the world, rural parts of America, right. Uh, you got to put stuff where it hasn't necessarily been before, right? And so it, that in and of itself uh, aligns us very well with uh, with this. We've also been a company that's been very uh, religiously focused on, um, on being open, right? And so mm -hmm. when you are, are you know doing multi-vendor environments, you know, especially when you're working with government money, there's always a sensitivity to, am I putting myself in a, in a, uh, you know, in a technological cul-de-sac or am I trying to, you know, am I discouraging other companies from getting involved? We work with, we work with everybody, right? And so that actually aligns very, very well with us. And thirdly, we've always been very, very innovative and aggressive in terms of uh, focusing on fiber and focusing on the capacity that has that uh, that basically needs to be in place in order to take advantage of fiber going forward, and with a forward-looking program like this, right, that is uh, you know saying you know going fiber first, right, uh, really giving extra credit for those projects that have long long legs and long life to them, right, as well as just. Um, you know, doing the right thing, right? In, in putting, you know, in encouraging projects that are going to put a foundation in that can easily be upgraded in the future. It's a perfect fit for uh, for us overall. So we are all in, in, uh, in you know, uh, educating as well as working with companies through this process of getting them, uh, uh, getting them ready to take advantage of these funds. As I said, some are already in play. The bead is still a little bit on the horizon, but there's lots, a uh, lot to know. And we we look at it as a noble cause, right? This is this is it's it's fun to be doing this. It's it's an honor to be in this industry right now because everything that you do, especially with these stimulus projects, is changing the trajectory of people's lives in entire communities at once, right? It's it's yeah. it's a feel good it's a feel good thing as well. It definitely is. And I, I think that's a great place to end it. So thank you so much, Jeff. I really appreciate your time. I hope you'll come back. Thank you, Nicole. It was a pleasure talking to you. We'll chat soon. All right. Thank you again, Jeff, for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Pierre Landriau, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.